Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Okay, uh, so today, as he says here, we're going to talk about uh, psychomotor stimulants. This includes things like uh, cocaine, right? See, I'm climbing down with the street. Uh, ecstasy, uh, methamphetamine, crystal meth, etc. So this is the one that is uh, inspired by the TV show Breaking Bad. It's a fine show. Hey, look, it's Pablo Escobar. He was one of the most important, probably, he was, he was the world's most, most wanted man. Now, that, those aren't, like, look, look what the reward was, $2.7 million, this is in the 90s. Uh, this was a record until the FBI had a reward out for Osama bin Laden. And one could argue that it's conceivable that Pablo Escobar was a nastier man than Osama bin Laden. Maybe not ideologically, but probably killed more people. <laughs> uh, they got him, by the way. That's cocaine. That is crack. And here we have ecstasy paraphernalia. Um, ecstasy is a funny drug. One of the things it makes you do, one of the side effects, is it causes a uh, teeth grinding and uncontrollable chewing, uh, which is very bad on your jaw. So what people do is they'll either chew gum, but very often they'll chew like a, a soother. Right? Um, you'll also see people drink energy drinks when they're on ecstasy, and there's a very good reason for that. Um, ecstasy stops you from peeing. It causes a release of uh, vasopressin, and vasopressin uh, is an antidiuretic. So you'll get hot because you're at a rave and you know, there's really shitty European trash music. And, okay, I don't like that crap, okay? I just don't like music. I'm putting music in air quotes. But you're very warm, so you drink water, but you can't pee. And that's actually very bad because you can get uh, a water intoxication, right? Which is really, really unpleasant. So you get thirsty. Because you're warm, you drink water, but you don't pee. You get what people call EP, which is you don't really pee very much. Um, so people will drink energy drinks because they'll. Uh, you don't have to drink as much to sit to quench your thirst. All right. So the kind of things we're talking about then are basically good old amphetamine, which you don't see a whole lot of anymore. Uh, there's D-amphetamine and L-amphetamine. They're just different isomers. You put those together, you get benzedrine, and just D is dexedrine. Uh, isomers, for those of you that don't know a little bit of chemistry, are just uh, mirror image molecules. Uh, dexedrine is used uh, quite a bit as a, uh, a diet uh, a pill. Because one of the things that pretty much any psychomotor stimulant does, we call them psychomotor stimulants because they have stimulant effects, but also in the peripheral nervous system, they, they uh, <clears throat> have stimulant effects, not just the central nervous system. The, uh, one of the side effects of pretty much all psychomotor stimulants is they, they're an appetite suppressant. <coughs> They've also been used recreationally, of course, a long time ago when I was 
quite young. When I was 15, there was a band from Ireland called Dexy's Midnight Runners. They had one hit song, Come on, Eileen. They've heard that song. They are named after Dexy. <clears throat> it's not used very much anymore as a, uh, as a recreational drug. They can do see it. Uh, MDMA, methyl, blah, 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 methamphetamine. It's a very long. Sorry, 3,4-methyl-diac-something, methamphetamine. Uh, that's ecstasy. Don't confuse NMDMA with NMDA. NMDA is a neuromodulator. <coughs> NMDMA is an entirely different thing. A buddy of mine once asked a question when he was hearing a talk on NMDA in hippocampus. And he says, is there anything like MDMA? <laughs> the guy said, no, the letters are kind of the same. Uh, methamphetamine, of course, which uh, colloquial, colloquial, colloquially known as speed on the street. Yep, I don't know what street it is, but on the street, perhaps Queen Street. I don't know, pick the big street town. And I figured if I picked Queen Street, I couldn't offend anybody because I think a certain part of town's. Oh, I live there, man. So let's go with Queen Street. Highway 17, yeah, goes from Ottawa to Kenora. Uh, methylphenidrate, which is Ritalin. Right, that's the trade name for methylphenidrate. Now, again, this is a clinical use, of course, for controlling ADHD. And we'll talk a bit about that as we go along. But it also is it's stimulant. It's a stimulant. Which is one of the things that when people complain about Ritalin, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the effectiveness of it because it actually is effective for ADHD. When you hear people that don't know anything about drugs say that, oh, they're doing, man, is they're just drugging our kids and getting them into, like a, they're into a coma, into a, a haze, they're giving them stimulants. If kids have, if they're hyper, you think that the man would decide to give them stimulants? Like the man would give them Oxycontin. That'd calm them down, Right? But oddly, the stimulants calm kids down and focus them. Uh, ephedrine, which is, just shows up in certain plants, which is a, quote, natural, uh, naturally occurring substance. Uh, cocaine, which comes from coca leaves. Cathinone, uh, which you probably haven't heard of. Uh, it's called... It's, I've got a lot of ways to spell it here because it's an Arabic word. Uh, it's from Somalia, the Horn of Africa, and Yemen, that kind of area, Gulf of Aden. Um, you tend to see this spelling, K-H-A-T. I don't know how you pronounce that. Fact, I guess. I, that's one of them Arabic sounds I can't make. Is that a Yeah, it's a plant. Um, it's a bush, and the leaves are about that size, so the size of a think bigger than a tuna. And you take the leaves and you chew them. <coughs> oh, it does show up. In fact, right now, it is the most seized illegal drug in Canada at airports. So it's actually the most, you've, most of you've never heard of this stuff, and it is, in fact, the most smuggled into Canada uh, drug. It's been chewed, uh, these leaves, just like how coca leaves have been chewed in the Andes for ever. Uh, chant leaves have been chewed in Africa since ancient Egypt. There are reports in ancient Egypt of people chewing these things. 
uh, the ancient Egyptians said that it brought out the divinity in people, which was a nice way of saying it got them, you know, a little high. <laughs> what was that? You never know that you're part of the building falling off, you know, so it's... But yeah, I mean, I literally just read this this morning, because I, I keep trying to figure out how to, how to pronounce this. Um... And I'm just going to say chat because I, I can't make those. I don't. I don't know how to make those phonemes. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. And then I saw this report: the most seized drug at Canadian airports. So it's it, it's mostly among. I mean, traditionally it was something that was chewed by, uh, like I said, people in Somalia, uh, Ethiopia, Djibouti, where it's legal. Uh, Yemen. In Yemen, ten percent of the of arable land is used. Growing this bush. Is it legal there? Oh yeah, yeah, it's legal. It's just like how in uh, you go up into the mountains in Colombia, it's legal to chew coca leaves. If you are from Colombia and live in the mountains, it's not like you can have a cocaine holiday. I mean, you could. It's pretty easy, I think, to get cocaine. It's easy to get cocaine here. But some people seem to think that if you go to Colombia, oh, I can take cocaine, it's legal. No, it's not legal. And you get a lot of trouble. The locals, local indigenous people, are allowed to chew it. Because okay? they, they've been doing it forever. So all of these are, do the same thing. They all operate in the monoamines. Uh, so they're all what we call psychomotor stimulants. And when you look at these neurotransmitters, um, epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine, and serotonin, they are all things that in the peripheral nervous system, they make it go. So they're not only sort of psychologically stimulants, they're also stimulants in the peripheral nervous system. So uh, it would make you, small amounts, would make you run faster. It would make your reaction time quicker, etc. I believe I talked about how small amounts of cocaine being given to uh, pilots make them react a touch more quickly than they would without the cocaine. It's small amounts of cocaine, and I'm not suggesting that you should pilot a plane while taking cocaine. I will say that uh, in, I know not in our armed forces, but I know in the American armed forces, uh, because guys have to stay up really like for long periods of time because, you know, what with the shooting? And you want to stay alert, so they're given what are called go pills, which are green, and stop pills, which are red. They're not usually given those, but if you're going to be up for a very long period of time, um, the go pills are, are, are amphetamine and the stop pills are benzodiazepines. You're not supposed to take them, you know, all at once and make a little field speed ball and then... People say, well, what about addiction? What about getting killed? So the answer yeah, what's the... I think you'd probably rather stay awake. I mean, I, armies throughout uh, World War II, for example, used these on all sides. Everybody did. Um, apparently, we don't use them anymore. The Americans still use them. Uh, pilots will use them uh, on very, very, very long missions when they have to be flying combat air patrols for 10 hours kind of thing. Right? There was some indication that the friendly fire incident in 2002 when uh, two PPCLI were attacked by American jets was because of the pills, but those guys actually hadn't taken any. They're not given very often to pilots, but they are now and then. And like I said, in World War II, they were given uh, by all sides, the Germans and the Allies. 
So which monoamine is affected depends on the drug. Um, but they all act in roughly the same way. So there's, for example, an ecstasy molecule. Right? And then you can see how there's an amphetamine molecule. So they're very similar. That is cocaine on the right? Yeah. So these are very, almost the same molecule. And of course, the, D, the DA stands for, uh, or MDMA, the MA stands for methamphetamine. So it is made, ecstasy is made from amphetamine. You can see that ecstasy and speed are very simple molecules. For an organic molecule, that's really simple. All right, uh, coca leaves been chewed for thousands of years in South America, as I mentioned. The active ingredient was isolated. This was in the 1800s, um, and people started taking it. Whenever an active ingredient is isolated in anything, everyone thinks it's a wonder drug. Everybody was taking cocaine. Here's some people that took cocaine. Robert Louis Stevenson somehow explains some of the books. <clears throat> Freud, perhaps it explains the fact that he wanted to have sex with his mother. Or he thought you all did, not him. Sometimes it's a guy, it's just a cigar, but you all would take it as a penis. It's a Freud impression? Nothing? No one? Um, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia. The Bolsheviks are coming. Okay. Heinrich Ibsen, anybody here ever read me Heinrich Ibsen? <coughs> what do they teach you people anymore? Ibsen is a really depressing Norwegian playwright. Like, probably before the... I wouldn't say he was like uh, Orwell or Zamyatin as far as the uh, dystopian stuff, but like Enemy of the People is this really depressing thing where a town turns on somebody. And they're all depressing. A doll's house. Do you know that one? Oh, there you go. It's depressing. I, I think he was always coming down from the cocaine. Probably. And then he starts writing. I mean, it was, you know. Really worse, though. Oh, yeah. He did great stuff. It's wonderful, but it's very depressing. you got to have a thing for the tragedy. Yeah. They aren't light comedies. <laughs> and various popes. Wow. See, it feels good to take cocaine. And also, it did make people feel more alert, which we know it actually does. Um, it has pain-killing properties. In fact, the A-I-N-E at the end of the name should tell you that it's a local anesthetic. Heck, there's uh, the 7% solution. That's a Sherlock Holmes story, right? Fictional characters were taking cocaine, but good guy fictional characters. And in that story, doesn't Freud come and help him get off the cocaine? By the way, Freud, when he did come up with his crazy-ass, ridiculous, non-scientific theories, he hadn't taken cocaine in a long time. It became big in what's called the patent medicine business, cocaine, because it wasn't... But this, I mean, I wouldn't, you know how, like, today what happens, or not so much today, but about 20 years ago... And this is how ecstasy was discovered. 
laws used to work like this. They would say, this molecule is illegal. Well, that makes sense. So what happens is enterprising young chemists say, well, what happens if we put one more carbon hanging off over here? Oh, now it's legal, and it's the same thing. Right? So they would make designer drugs, and they would be, they would be legal for a while. Now, basically, classes of, of, of molecules are, are made illegal. Um, same thing happened when things would get discovered, like cocaine. It wasn't regulated because no one really knew about it. It wasn't a problem. And, you know, patent medicine, this is, you know, when Homer Simpson and his father go sell Abe's wonderful tonic around the, the country? You know, the guy shows up. If you play Red Dead Redemption, you know how there's a patent medicine guy that shows up? You don't play that, you should. It's a good game. Um, basically, they're selling medicine, but it's not really medicine. Usually, it was stuff with something like cocaine in it and some alcohol. So it made you feel good right away, and it kind of tasted medicine-y. It cures everything! Babe's new fabulous tonic! So you show up in a town, you sell out, and you leave before people realize you've sold them nothing, right? That's where Coca-Cola comes from. Coca-Cola was a patent medicine. It had cocaine in it, it had, it had cola, which has caffeine in it, and the original recipe was then also mixed with what they called wine, which was some, it wasn't very good wine. Though apparently it said on the ingredients, French wine. Some French guy looked at it. And said, so it was originally sold Coca-Cola as a, a medicine. And this is why um, in the, if you watch the old movies from the 40s and 50s and people go to the drugstore to go to the, to get a Coke to the soda fountain, they do the, um, you know, like the, the fountain pop, not, not like in a bottle, because they used to, used to be sold in drugstores. They'd sell the syrup and you mix it with the soda. Now, there hasn't been cocaine in Coca-Cola since like 1913. By the way, Coca-Cola will have you believe there's never been cocaine in Coca-Cola. They are lying. But there hasn't been in a very long time. But yeah, it was a patent. most soft drinks were patent medicines. Right? So there you go. This is my favorite one. Cocaine tooth drops. <laughs> For your kid! <laughs> your teeth hurt, Johnny! Come here, do some blow! Again, Coca-Cola has no cocaine in it anymore. I just love this picture. Yes, he was sold in a syrup. This is disassociated. There we go. Um, Ephedrine's been around for a long time. Uh, and of course, he makes a synthetic. This comes from a bush grows basically uh, in the Far East. Um, now, pseudoephedrine has become popular, and it, it, it not only does it uh, clear your airway, just like remember we talked about caffeine, it clears your airway and gets rid of congestion. It's also a stimulant, um, and it's, so it's popular among athletes. There's a reason that hockey players take Sudafed. Um, it's not because they have colds. <laughs> it's because it's a stimulant. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys remember uh, a Canadian rower back in, oh, I guess that would be the late 90s, early 2000s. Her name was Silken Lauman. She was amazing. Like, she was the best rower, female rower in the world. And at the Pan Am Games, uh, she had a cold. And I mean, I believe it, that she had a cold because she wouldn't be one of the caught doping. She took Sudafed. 
And there's two kinds of pseudofed. There's one without pseudoephedrine in it, and there's one with pseudoephedrine in it. And she took that one, and she lost her gold medal. Um, she then blamed the doctor, and I guess she can't read the ingredients on the side that say pseudoephedrine is the active ingredient. I feel bad for her. She ended up winning Olympic medals anyway. But it has become popular among athletes because it's, it's legal, and it's a completely legal way to get uh, stimulants. Chat, or whatever the hell the spelling is. Uh, it's been as I said, forever. It's popular uh, mostly in Eastern Europe is where it's spread for the most part. It's known as Jeff there, which is probably just a Russian bastardization of the way to pronounce it. Um, it's sort of poor man's speak. There was a big concern when uh, UN troops went to Somalia in 1993 to try to do peacekeeping, and then they ended up making that movie Black Hawk Down. Most of you don't remember that, that's right. Anyway, that all these soldiers would come back addicted to this stuff didn't happen. Didn't happen. Though apparently it's very, getting very popular because it's cheap. It's cheap. All right. So that's some of the drugs. Um, if you're taking these things, if you want constant absorption, to take it orally, and this is why, for example, if you're taking Ritalin for ADHD, you take a pill. Right? You, if you have ADHD, you don't grind the Ritalin up and snort it. Right? You want constant absorption. Now, if you're an injection or you want to snort, you get a big rush, like from, say, uh, the, the powder is uh, cocaine hydrochloride, by the way. Um, so you can inject that, which isn't nearly as common as, you know, that. You know, people always say that awkward moment. Well, there's that awkward moment when you realize your roommates are all doing that. Graduate school. Now, you can test how pure it is because people cut. Remember who you're buying drugs from? Criminals. So they don't, they're loaded with morals, right? Um, so what they'll do is they'll cut it with something. Now, often it'll be something like flour or sugar. Uh, well, dicing sugar, not like granulated sugar. Uh, just something that can stretch it out, right? Now, the thing is, uh, you hear about things like, hey, it was cut with Ajax, cleanser. No, that doesn't happen because they may be unethical, but they don't want to kill their clientele. That's somebody doing that to somebody on purpose. But the thing is, when you take cocaine, one of the ways to test its purity is to, you burn it, and you see when it starts, uh, what temperature uh, you start to get smoke, right? And the more stuff, more crap that's in there, the typically the lower the temperature. And this allowed people to determine that, wait a second, when you start seeing smoke, that's cocaine, and they started smoking cocaine, and that's a method called freebasing. This is what um, Richard Pryor is a comedian. Um, at one point, he was freebasing a lot, and it's very dangerous because igniting a powder is never safe, right? Because, well, the little tiny things with a lot of surface area, they explode. And uh, a, a freebase pipe exploded in his face. That's not what killed him, but a freebase, that's what got him off cocaine, actually. It's like, well, this was a mistake. 
So that became popular, but it's a dangerous way. But it's, it's you know, smoking is a very quick way to get uh, a drug to your brain. Now, what people discovered later on was you could take, and this is in the early 80s, you could take cocaine, you know, the, the powder, cocaine hydrochloride, mix it with flour, baking soda, and water, make a paste, and bake them in the oven. They become hard little rocks, and then you could burn those, and they burn very, because they're little rocks, instead of being this powder, they, it, it burns very controlled, you don't get the, the dangerous explosions, and you've got crack! You've invented crack! So that's where crack comes from. And that's why crack's cheap. Powdered cocaine hydrochloride is very expensive, whereas this has been stretched out with a bunch of stuff that's pretty much, you know, like I said, flour, baking soda, stuff like that, but it'll, it'll, it'll burn. Right? But you're still burning off the, the cocaine and smoke, when you smoke crack from a delicious crack pipe. Um, the peak concentration for amphetamine is 30 minutes to 3 hours, depending on how you take it. If you're injecting amphetamine or smoking amphetamine, about 30 minutes, maybe 3 hours uh, if you are taking it in a pill form. Uh, it's probably more rapid, of course, from smoking. That's me, that's me being funny. Obviously, it's more rapid from smoking. So you're probably going to get peak concentration from smoking uh, amphetamine or smoking cocaine quite earlier than 30 minutes. This, uh, all these things cross the barriers. They cross, cross the blood brain barrier. They cross the placental barrier. And they're excreted in your urine. This isn't really surprising. Most everything is. They're metabolized in the liver. Um, coke, cocaine has a half-life of about 40 minutes. And this might explain to you why, if you've ever been around somebody who's taking cocaine, um, or smoking crack or something like that, um, people keep doing it throughout the night. Right? Because you get a pretty quick high, but then it gets broken down pretty quickly and excreted pretty quickly. Questions so far? Um, one of the things that many of these drugs cause are transmitter leakage. So you get leakage of the catecholamines, so that's, dop that's dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, um, and leakage of serotonin. So in other words, it just sort of, it causes the vesicles to burst and it's not like the same as firing, so you're not getting a whole big whack of dopamine or a whole big whack of amphetamine, of amphetamine, of uh, epinephrine. You're getting small amounts as vesicles burst in the axons. You might get an increase uh, in the amount released when there is firing, and ecstasy does this with serotonin. Ecstasy causes an increase in the release of serotonin. When there is firing, more serotonin is released. 
cocaine simply blocks the reuptake of dopamine. So what cocaine does is it's a dopamine, a selective dopamine reuptake inhibitor. Right? It literally just blocks the reuptake of dopamine. But if you have more dopamine around, and remember what, what is your reward system run on dopamine, it's going to make you feel good. In the peripheral nervous system, you get the release of uh, epinephrine. Now, of course, epinephrine or adrenaline, when it's a hormone, you know that that's going to... This is, the horm- this is one of the neurotransmitters and hormones in the, in the uh, autonomic nervous system that's released <coughs> when your sympathetic nervous system kicks in. So it's going to make you more alert, right? It's going to make you be able to have faster reaction times. It's also going to... What happens with your central nervous... Or sorry, your... Sympathetic nervous system, that's the sort of fight or flight response. One of the things it does when it gets activated at all is it diverts resources away from resting functions, things like digestion. So you don't feel hungry, for example, anymore. So this explains the appetite suppressive end of it. Right? You're not hungry anymore because your body's ready to run away from a saber toothed tiger. To bravely run away. So this is uh, what ecstasy is doing here, basically. This is a, not a great diagram, but I just think it looks cool. So this is what MDMA is doing, is we have, these are the vesicles, okay? And what it's doing is, and this, this is what this is trying to show, is it goes up, when this, this is about the fire, so this one's going to be released anyway, this serotonin. But when it goes to be released, it, uh, there's a fusion pore created in the cell membrane by the ecstasy molecule, and it pulls, it, bursts another, it pulls out and basically bursts another vesicle. So you get more ecstasy released, sorry, more serotonin released on firing than you normally would. These are receptors. And apparently this is another cell, and its surface is made of a carpet of some sort. I just think it's a nice looking diagram. One of the things you hear a lot about ecstasy is the effects, the after effects of, of chronic use. One of the problems here is it's hard to find chronic ecstasy users that want to be in experiments, that want to be in studies, basically, right? So this is showing um, serotonin, uh, serotonergic parts of the brain. That's what the light part is. Okay. Um, this is a normal person, and this is a person who has apparently called a former ecstasy user. Now, you might look at that and get frightened, except that you should realize that comes from an anti-drug website. Um, so always check your source. The thing is, there's a pretty good indication now, and these are mostly case studies, because again, it's hard to find a cohort of 50 people that you can study that have been using ecstasy for 20 years. Right? It's a really long-term professional ecstasy users. Um, there was... Uh, I've seen one case recently where the guy basically is a blithering idiot. But it, the problem with one case study like that is you don't know if he just is a blithering idiot anyway. Right? Like he just was... He was completely 
Not good. The thing is, it does seem to damage axons in the serotonin system. Long-term use. A lot of that's animal stuff, but there are, like I said, there's more and more stuff coming out. It's hard to find these things. They tend to be case studies. But it looks like uh, chronic ecstasy use does damage the serotonin system. And that kind of damage in the central nervous system is pretty much irreparable. One of the things that people get treated with basically very often is they get treated with, oddly enough, a Prozac, which is a reuptake inhibitor, so it makes more serotonin available um, because their serotonin system has been destroyed. So the idea, and you may have heard this uh, when some buddy of yours said, we'll take ecstasy because it's safe. The idea that it's completely safe or something is is just, there's no way that's true. There's no way that, there's no, I don't know, no one really knows what the long-term effects are. I can't see them being really good. The long-term effects of taking any drug chronically don't seem to be really good. And I doubt it's neutral. If it's destroying axons, I just can't see how it's neutral. Also, and this is just a side note, anything somebody can make with rudimentary grade 10 lab bench skills, I don't take. It's just a personal choice. What if you made a mistake? (laughs) This is why I don't take acid. Uh, That and the idea that I don't want to see sound and hear colors. That would just freak me out. Doesn't sound pleasant to me. I don't like roller coasters either. Scary movies. Now let's go watch the human centipede. Why would you want to do that? What's wrong with you people? Let's do it while we're on acid. Oh, great. That'll be a fun night. Oh, look. You got an increase in... All these drugs are causing an increase in dopamine release in the nucleus accumbens. That says acumens which is the smaller part of the accumbens. No, it's a spelling mistake. So there's the reward system, and it directly happens in the accumbens. You know that. This explains why people snort somewhat corrosive powder up their nose. Uh, Cocaine actually will directly block sodium ion channels, which is how it can act as a local anesthetic. Okay, so uh, cocaine and it's that wonderful when you <clears throat> when you snort cocaine, and I know I actually have never done cocaine because it just uh, it doesn't appeal to me. But when you snort cocaine, your your nose gets numb, right? And there's that wonderful scene in the movie Blow when Bobcat Goldthwait is testing the cocaine that Johnny Depp has brought in from Pablo Escobar. Pretty true to the story, too. It's a, it's a really good movie. Um, and he snorts some and he says, Whoa, I can't feel my face. That's, it's a really good movie, by the way. It really is. Johnny Depp movies are hit and miss. You know, don't you find that? They're hit and miss. For everything like that, which was really good, there's like something done by Tim Burton. 
And you're all like, oh, I love Tim Burton. No, no one really loves Tim Burton. You like it because you think people are going to think you, you know, oh, you're weird. No one likes Tim Burton. <laughs> Not a fan. But he's done some great stuff, and that was a good movie. Um, let's see, increase in dopamine and epinephrine in the, uh, let's see, you've got epinephrine, you've got dopamine in the central nervous system, you've got epinephrine in the peripheral nervous system, bet your heart goes faster, right? And you get dilation of blood vessels. This is nice, these drugs are pretty easy to understand, right? Just like, uh, not like, say, caffeine, it's like, oh, I really don't know. Nicotine, I'm not sure. Alcohol, uh, I'm not really sure. This one, we know how these work. Uh, more effects, people get headaches, dry mouth, weight loss, and it disrupts sleep. You'll get REM rebound later. Um, a lot of these make some sense. Um, we're talking about, this would be an effect of the uh, blood vessel constriction. Uh, the dry mouth... Is probably your heart beating faster doing that, uh, which ends up. Oh, sorry, there's that, and there's the uh, when I mentioned the effect of ecstasy, but I think it's, it's partially that. Uh, the weight loss makes some sense because you stop. It's basically you're activating your sympathetic nervous system. Your sympathetic nervous system, you don't pay attention to be hungry anymore, so you don't have an appetite so much, right? You've also, in some respects, is another part of it. You've replaced your you know, enjoyment of food with, you know, directly putting dopamine all over your nucleus accumbens. Screw food. And it's going to disrupt sleep, as you probably guess. Um, you get REM rebound later after going off. So it's one of these things where if you do it once, you know, once a week, I'm not suggesting you do this, but if you do, do it on a Friday. So you can get your REM rebound by Sunday and you can have a good week. So this is, this, is my, this is today's pro tip. If you're going to take stimulants, do it on a Friday. On a Friday night. Don't do it on a Saturday night. Because then you won't sleep Saturday night. Then you get REM rebound Sunday. You're going to have a bad day Monday. Bad for school. So that's, I'm giving drug-taking tips. Yes? Would that explain why, say, when people start detoxing from these drugs, they report having a lot of wild, vivid dreams and crazy nightmares? Oh, yeah, and stuff exactly. Because, because they're finally getting REM. <laughs> right, and, they have, and if someone is having to go to detox, this is someone who does this every single day. They wake up and do a couple of lines of coke. Years. Yeah, for years. So you probably haven't had proper REM in a very long time. So are the dreams more vivid than our normal dreams at night? Who knows? But they probably haven't had regular normal dreams in so long that it's like this is awesome. You know, so it may even just be that. But yeah, people of course do report that because they're getting, they're finally getting REM rebound. Right. Now, the nice thing with these drugs is they're quite a bit easier to get off of than, something, than, than, than the depressants, than things like benzodiazepines, alcohol, or, say, heroin. Um, I'm not saying, again, I'm not I was jokingly giving you drug-taking tips before, but I don't think you should. You can do it how you want with your body. Like I've always said, just don't drive a car around me. But these are a little easier to deal with. Because the... Think about what the withdrawal symptoms are going to be like. This is all being aroused. The withdrawal symptoms are almost always the opposite, right? You might be able to sleep a lot of this away, right? Because you're going to be down. So that's not nearly as hard as like when you think of some of the uh, withdrawal symptoms from, say, heroin, which involve things like hallucinations and, and, and vomiting and all these things that are, are more arousal, right? 
some behavioral effects. Um, both cocaine and speed in, in, in humans are indistinguishable from each other. So the feeling from taking cocaine is the same as the feeling from getting speed, taking speed. They're indistinguishable. Which isn't surprising. The only thing that speed's doing is it's, it's, it's affecting more neurotransmitters than just dopamine. Cocaine's just going after the dopamine. In the central nervous system, uh, in the peripheral, they're both allowing the release of um, epinephrine. They feel good. You get a feeling of, of, of it's a drug liking feeling. People feel like they have more energy. Their minds are clear. This is what explains, by the way, the use of Ritalin for someone with ADHD. Right? Because someone with ADHD, first of all, let's look at this. It's got, it's got two parts ADHD, right? Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Attention deficit means they can't attend to something. They can't divide their attention properly and they can't attend to the task at hand. If you can clear your mind, you can attend to the task at hand. Why do people then get, why do kids especially, then get, quote, hyperactive? Well, if there's nothing you're paying attention to when you're a kid, you run around and act like a twit, because that's what kids do. Right? Because they can't pay attention to one thing, they're doing 20 things at once, and they can become disruptive. So the idea here is that kids with ADHD have a problem in their dopamine system. Right? Which is important in attention. So you give kids small amounts of Ritalin, methylphenidrate, and it's enough to allow them to focus and they aren't hyper anymore. And like I said, the idea then that it's all some plot by the man to drug children to keep them calm is ridiculous. Because if you give a normal kid that doesn't have ADHD Ritalin, he will be hyper. He'll be climbing the walls. Right? Are too many kids given Ritalin? Probably. Is it overprescribed? Probably. But is it a real thing? Does it actually work? Yes. Yes. So this explains it. You come down later. Now, this is one of the problems with giving kids Ritalin is it's a stimulant and they're going to have trouble sleeping. So you want to be really small doses, really controlled. And when kids first go on Ritalin, it can often be, it'll take weeks or perhaps months to find the right dose that they can do okay in school, pay attention, but that they can sleep at night. Right? <coughs> the rush you get, which is sort of a euphoria feeling, and it's called rush because it's, it's got the euphoria, but it's also got the increased energy. Um, this will last longer in sleeping cocaine, but remember for speed we're talking 30, it might be three and a half, four hour, uh, three hours, let's say, or two hours for the peak concentration for cocaine, maybe like 40 minutes. It's, it shows you why it lasts longer. There's some very strange behavior that comes from taking cocaine, uh, amphetamine, and a lot of these drugs. It's called punding. Um, it's stereotype behavior, and it's stereotype repetitive behavior. So it's things like constantly, well, here's an example from when I was young. I woke up to see my roommates rearranging all the glasses in the cupboards by size and obsessing over it. Right. Or it could involve something like just doing this. 
a repetitive behavior. But very often, it's, 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 it's with some other item. So it isn't actually something that's, you know, hitting yourself or something. Um, it, very often, it's things, like I said, it's organizing things. Or suddenly deciding we're going to rearrange all the furniture down here right now. It's going to be awesome. And you know what we should do? We should do it like by, by color and by size and by what the, the furniture's used for. Yeah, that's a great idea. You guys shut up on a stats exam tomorrow. Six o'clock in the morning! I eventually moved out. These are all, by the way, now very responsible people and respected business people in the country. So that's why I won't tell you their names. But yeah, I saw a lot of crazy stuff. I'm just here to get an education. I kept saying, well, would you try Coke if you smoked it? No, I don't want any. don't want any Coke. I'm trying to learn. I drink a lot. Is that enough? Is that okay? Amphetamine uh, psychosis is an interesting um, potential side effect. This is, you have to use a lot of cocaine for a lot of speed on this is an increase in dopamine release, obviously, it seems to me. I mean, I got a question mark there. No one really knows what causes it, but schizophrenia is caused by a very large amount of dopamine being released. Uh, sorry, too much dopamine. I shouldn't say released. It's not quite that simple. Schizophrenia is too much dopamine. Schizophrenia involves hallucinations, paranoia, delusions of grandeur. Right? Uh, schizophrenia doesn't really go away in control. Happily, this goes away after a while. Um, it can lead to violent behavior as well. Does this remind anybody of any celebrities you've heard of? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, this is my guess, I don't know, but he had had problems with cocaine, he had problems with amphetamines, and... A lot of people were saying that he was perhaps bipolar and all this stuff. And I remember saying to some people, look, uh, my, it's an easier guess. I think he just took way too much cocaine. I think it's amphetamine psychosis. Because, in fact, he's not like that anymore. But he had his three weeks of being completely freaking crazy. Right? And he was, think about it. He quit a job where he's being paid, what was it, $3.5 million for an, each episode of that shitty TV show? Right? It's not even funny. If that show was funny, it'd be funny. It's kind of like Red Green or Little Mosque on the Prairie. I look at it and go, I can see how someone could think that was funny. Um, but like, I mean, all that money, things are going pretty well. And he then talks about conspiracies. He has had a history of being violent with prostitutes making very strange decisions, right? It really looked to me, and again, I'm not that kind of doctor, uh, first off, and secondly, uh, I don't really know the history behind everything, but I mean, everything you hear about him, he had a problem with amphetamines and, and cocaine, and that looked like amphetamine psychosis to me. Okay. Yeah, please. So. I read that he had 
the book by Nikki Six, The Heroin Diaries, where he talks a lot about his uh, cocaine and heroin escapades, and he had some rather hilarious stories of sure. going through psychosis like that, where he thought the lawn gnomes were coming to get him, so oh, he'd yeah. be diving through the gardens with a shotgun naked, or <laughs> throwing away into the And of course, the way that a lot of times people that have that much money and have that kind of, those kind of drugs available, the way a lot of them deal with that is they smooth out that harsh buzz with some heroin. Yeah. And that's a, that, that'll kill you. Okay. So that, that's where it gets really dangerous. I mean, co not that cocaine isn't dangerous, but heroin's super dangerous. And one of the things that it does, of course, is it, we were talking about this a couple of us after class the other day, the reason that caffeine and alcohol are dangerous together isn't because of some super additive effect or anything. It's because when we drink, we know when to quit. Because we get drowsy and kind of feel like, but then you think of caffeine, it's like, oh, I still feel great. So you drink more. So that's why the whole Red Bull and vodka thing, it's not Red Bull and vodka, it's inherently dangerous. It's that you don't have enough drinking experience to know when to quit. And I think the same thing happens here. It's like you would normally take some heroin and it would slow you down enough and go, okay, that's enough. But you're full of cocaine already. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's people can get, have psychotic episodes. Which is, you know, not fun. As much fun as it looked like Charlie Sheen was having. Is that like when you hear about... Um exhibiting uh, sort of superhuman strength, like just, you know, like, the police are trying to arrest them, all of a sudden they're super powerful. Well, I mean, part of that is that, part of those stories, well, part of it will be that the sympathetic nervous system is taken. And in fact, you are, you know, on average, people are statistically significantly stronger They can do more physical activity, uh, lift more weight, for example, when they are, um, their sympathetic nervous system is taken. This is why you hear stories of people being able to, lift up a small car to get somebody out from underneath them. There's been an accident. This is where you hear stories of incredible bravery and valor on the battlefield because your sympathetic nervous system's kicking in. That's part of what this is doing. And the other part of it is people, when they're psychotic, aren't being reasonable. So when typically, right now, if a cop came in here and went to arrest me and there were three of them, I probably wouldn't resist. I'd probably, what's going on? But I'm not going to try to fight them. And they're not used to people fighting them when there's three or four of them, and they've got billy clubs. Usually they used to people going, okay, okay, dude, whatever. <laughs> so I think part of it's that too. Because uh, there was a, people talked a lot about this with another drug, with PCP, uh, in the 70s, how it was giving people superhuman strength. And actually this was, this was tested in the lab. Um, it doesn't do that, but what it does do is it makes people make really bizarre, stupid decisions that the cop, for example, wouldn't be ready for. Plus, the sympathetic nervous system's kicked in, so they are a little bit stronger. Uh, they can do more. They can do more things with weight. For let's, let's say stronger. You know what I mean? So it's, I think it's that too. It's, it's the psychotic part of it that people are just behaving in a completely irrational manner. It's irrational to fight back against five cops, right? They, I mean, so they don't expect it. <clears throat> I know they're trained in all this stuff. They don't really expect you to get up and, 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 and try to attack one of them and keep going. So I think a lot of it's just that. Yeah. Yeah, so Sorry, another quick no, please, it's um, Now, when you hear of people who do maybe too big of a dose of coke or something, and yeah. they end up doing the chicken, seizuring out on the floor, what yeah. exactly? Is that like an overdose? Because sometimes yeah. you can get right back up afterwards and be like, where's my head? It, it can be. That kind of case is probably partially that. Like, a, it, could, it doesn't necessarily have to be an overdose. Um, an overdose would typically knock you out because you've got a heart attack. Yeah. Right? Um, but the excess dopamine could make you seize. Yeah. 
And then, and, and when, yeah, and when someone happens to somebody and they get up and say, I want to do another line of coke now, that's when your friends should say, no, I think you've had enough. Or when they're like, where did it go? Who did my line? Or who yeah. did my hit? Yeah. Oh, people are amazing. The humans cannot be trusted. Uh, sensation actually gets better. Um, you, your thresholds drop. So you end up with <clears throat> increased flicker fusion rates. Or sorry, decreased flicker fusion rates. So, in other words, you start to be able to see the flicker in light bulbs. And that's not an hallucination. You're actually, because your sensory system is working a little bit better, you're able to see that light bulbs flicker at 60 cycles per second now. So I talked about the flight simulator idea. It eliminates fatigue effects on reaction. This is only going to be true probably in overlearned tasks. Okay? Something that's overlearned, when you overlearn something, you can learn something and then you can't behave any better. You can't do any better. Okay? But then you keep practicing. And you overlearn it. So you think about something like, well, if you're a pilot, flying an airplane is an overlearned task. They train and train and train and train. Being a professional hockey player, being able to shoot a puck is an overlearned task. Right? And you know this if you ever play, play pick up hockey and you try to just pick a corner somewhere and you shoot, and you can actually do that <clears throat> when there's no pressure. There's a little bit of pressure, you can't do it. Whereas, you know, there's that great story of there was a. A Sports Illustrated story on Wayne Gretzky about 1982. He shot the puck and actually, as it was in the air, it went left him like that to a certain turn on its side and went between the goalie's shoulder and, and, and post. And the reporter said, "How did you? Well, how did you do that?" He said, "Well, that's the only way I could get it in." And it's like, what? What do you mean? People like that are creepy, right? So the same thing with a pilot. They, they they're trained, or soldiers are trained. There's a reason they train soldiers lots. They don't just say, well, now that you know how to use the gun, sit here and wait for a war. They have to be trained like hell, because they have to react under incredible stress, which is the same as actually taking cocaine. Right? So it's an overlearned task. So I would not suggest, for example, doing, the, doing cocaine for a test. Right? So under certain circumstances, it's actually going to improve performance. That's also known as athletic. I had taken some cocaine when I did this. Uh, so the problem here was that uh, I, I can't spell anyway. Um, actually, most, all these drugs are tested for in competition, uh, and they're all banned substances. They're banned substances. Uh, Sudafed is not as popular with NHL players as it used to be, but it still is. When they go to the Olympics or the World Championships, they're going to be drug tested. They all have to stop taking Sudafed. And this was one of those interesting stories that happened in when the first time the NHL players went to the Olympics in 1998, there was a great story in Sports Illustrated about, you know, everybody's going to test positive for drugs. No one's going to get the gold medal. But no one did, and it all ended up just fine, I guess. I stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning watching that shootout. You guys were all like too young, 1998. I was all drunk next morning to teach. I was drinking. I was talking. That's what you do. Anyway. Yeah, why would you put Gretzky on to be in the shootout, the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game? No, let's go with 
Eric Lindros. Like the 98 Olympics. Hmm? Like the 98 Olympics. 98 Olympics, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, Nagano, 98. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eric Lindros is the captain. Heart of Puddin' Lindros. <laughs> so he's tested for in the competition, um, which makes sense. Those are overlearned tasks where your reaction time goes down. Again, your reaction time will go down anyway, but I'm talking about a complicated task you like flying a plane. is an overlearned task, okay? But think about uh, somebody getting off the, the line a little more quickly in 100 meters and where, where, you know, a hundredth of a second could win a race. Uh, Non-humans, uh, we get an increase in spontaneous motor activity. Any question as to why? <laughs> They're stimulants. Um, stereotypical behavior, this may be the punding kind of thing. This may be the animal version of that punding. So you get <coughs> behavior where, for example, a rat will run back and forth in the same direction in its cage. Or it may do something self-injurious, like it may start biting its paw. So that's the auto-mutilation. They actually, uh, <coughs> will actually do that eventually. It increases fixed interval responding. Uh, yes, and decreases fixed ratio responding. This, these kind of dynamic uh, effects actually happen with negatively reinforced behavior too. Negatively re reinforcement is when you take away something good. Oh, sorry, take away something bad. So that shows you that it's not about the, the, the reward itself, the kind of reward so much. It's probably to do with timing and counting. Especially the idea of increasing fixed interval responding, your clock's moving quicker. Your clock's moving quicker. You being a rat or a pigeon or a monkey. Pigeons on speed. Was the name of the band I had? No, it wasn't. Um, there are dissociative effects. Uh, non-humans, such that when you learn something on the drug, you don't remember as well when you're off the drug and vice versa. These are common effects you see in memory uh, effects on uh, well, you know, drug effects on memory. It's discriminable from saline. This shouldn't surprise us. The rat can learn pretty quickly which bar to press, which one gives it cocaine, which one gives it uh, an injection of saline. Not right. Some stuff about tolerance. Um, acute tolerance develops very quickly uh, to cocaine, uh, which is one of the things you'll see people when they're taking cocaine, they'll take more cocaine very quickly. Um, the appetite suppressing effects disappear after a while. <coughs> Happily, some of the lethal effects, the idea of uh, taking so much of a heart attack, something like that. <coughs> so that's good. The psychosis and the stereotypical behavior actually show negative tolerance. In other words, now you need less cocaine to have co amphetamine psychosis. Now you need less cocaine to start reordering all of the glasses in the cupboard. Why is that? That actually may be a case of sensitivity. That you become more sensitive. I don't mean, yeah, and it's eventually not by a lot of but I mean that you now recognize the feeling of what cocaine feels like a little more easily. It's kind of like how you might hear people say the first time they smoke marijuana, they don't feel anything, and the next time they feel, they feel it more quickly. 
And that's more likely because people now know what being high on weed feels like. Because usually the first time people take weed, for example, the only thing they've ever done before is alcohol, and smoking weed uh, doesn't feel anything like getting drunk, or so I am told. A reliable source told me that. So it may just be that. I, that's a guess. That's a guess. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like a sensible guess. Withdrawal, okay, when I say it's not that bad, I am comparing it to alcohol, I'm comparing it to benzodiazepines. It's not fun. You get what's called letdown, where you basically have, which is, you're letdown. You feel bummed out, kind of depressed. In fact, it's often called amphetamine depression. But it's, you know, it, depression's like symptoms. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't feel like doing anything. I'm kind of a loser. That kind of feeling. Right? That goes away. So cocaine you can smoke and inject as we talked about. One of the interesting sort of administration techniques that's used with, well, sort of not uh, used, but one of the sort of patterns of use you see with speed is people will run and crash, so they'll just take speed, take speed, take speed, and eventually sleep for two days. That should say doses, not does. Um, then again, people will also, with things like uh, cocaine or speed even, uh, sorry, speed or cocaine even, is they'll take small doses, little tiny hits, to keep them going. And of course, you very often inject speed. Ecstasy, of course, is always taken in pill form. Though people, I shouldn't say always, people will crush the pills up and snort them. Okay, for rats and monkeys, uh, monkeys will actually stop taking uh, amphetamines or cocaine for brief periods if it's constantly available. So you have the monkey living in what's called a closed economy, where in its home cage it can get its food, it can get its water, and it gets its cocaine. And they get it by pushing a bar or something, talking, fixing the show or fixing the ball. What they'll do is they'll take a break. If it's a limited amount, what they'll do is they'll titrate it. What, what that, what that, what's that mean? They'll take enough. See, if it's always available, in other words, the monkey learns that no matter how many times they push it, they're going to get more. They'll actually take little breaks. If it's a limited amount, it's like you only get 20 pushes a day, they titrate it so they just get a nice little buzz going all day. It's not unlike what people do when, you know, uh, when you've got any kind of drug. Very often what you'll do is you'll say, okay, I've only got five smokes left. Well, I can't smoke them all right now because then I won't have any more. Oh, we've only got three beers left. Well, that's when you go break into somewhere and get some more beer. But I mean, you know, there's only three for each of us, so be careful. 
Don't, don't drink them all at once so you won't have any later. Right? So it's, it's interesting. They're behaving not unlike the way we would. Uh, rats will self-administer these drugs. And if you remember, this was really important for inter- understanding the reward model of drug-taking behavior. Because um, they'll self-administer small enough amounts that they won't really get withdrawal symptoms. But they'll do it... Uh, at the expense of other things. So, in fact, the rats end up with little drug problems, little rat drug problems. Bad things that can happen. Uh, this can damage your liver. Basically, you got, you're constantly using your liver to do something like that. It's going to cause some damage. Uh, can lead to long-term paranoia, Apparently. Uh, the hallucinations. So this is basically amphetamine psychosis. The tremors. Do it again. Back there. Weight loss. Now, some people take these drugs for weight loss. Think about it, it's double barrel, right? You've got your sympathetic nervous system basically kicked in, saying don't digest food, don't get hungry, and then you've got something that can replace the nice pleasure you get in food because you're just getting dopamine in your accumbens. Uh, there are indirect effects, and actually they're probably much more dangerous. Uh, the indirect effects are things like the fact that you have to buy these drugs from very bad people. Right? You don't... The indirect, indirect effects of illegal drugs are really very often much worse than direct effects of illegal drugs. Right? It's like the indirect effect. The direct effects of acid are very little. The indirect effect is you might think you could fly a jump off a building. The direct effect of cocaine, right? Maybe you go so far that you get amphetamine psychosis. The indirect effect, you had to buy it from an unscrupulous person because, you know, by definition, what with him or her being a criminal. So you buy it either from Tony Soprano or the Hell's Angels. These are bad people. Right? You watch the Sopranos and you sit there all back when it was on and you'd sit there thinking, you'd kind of feel sorry for them and then they'd kill somebody you'd go, right, they're mobsters. You seen Lily Hammer, the new show on Netflix when... The guy who played Sill, Little Steven, moves to Lillehammer and starts up his own mob crew in Norway. You should. It's awesome. It's all about 12 kinds of awesome. Could lead to birth defects. Now, or, and crack babies. Oh, boy. When the, when the crack first hit, people said, it's going to lead to crack babies. These are babies that will be so destroyed because of all the birth defects that happen that, that they will... There'll be nothing like real humans. They'll be like little animals. This was all just someone's guess and the media picked it up, but also so did a lot of clinic clinicians, etc. So it's not, we can't just blame ABC's 2020, though we can blame them somewhat. <laughs> if you factor out the fact that people that do cocaine don't eat very much, people that do cocaine and speed don't tend to live in the greatest part of town. They tend to smoke and drink when they're pregnant. Um, cocaine's safer than alcohol when you're pregnant. There are no crack babies. When the kids, now, were kids born to women who were doing crack? 
It's, there's probably one just happened right now. It's something that happens. But when those kids, the ones that were adopted away from the, from the mothers, the ones that couldn't get clean, the ones that didn't want to take care of the kid, whatever, and you know, they've been followed up years later, they have an IQ of 100 and a standard deviation of 15. In other words, they're totally normal. Right? Again, I'm not suggesting if you're pregnant, well, I shouldn't drink, but Dave says cocaine's safe. No. Uh, you can overdose. So you think so much basically that with a stimulant, typically you end up with a heart attack. Uh, treatment, uh, first thing has to happen, and this was Sophie mentioned, is detox. You just have to get off taking the drug. Detox is just, you don't take anything else. So that's the first step almost always. This is, again, remember I talked about contracting. Um, contracting, the idea of contracting started a lot of it with prescription drugs, benzodiazepines, and cocaine. And these were very popular in the 1980s. Uh, and apparently we found out on the weekend probably still are. Um, <coughs> this is the idea that a lot of people that actually had a lot of money were doing cocaine. Cocaine is not a poor person's drug, typically. Uh, crack is, because crack's cheap. But, you know, co powdered cocaine hydrochloride was a drug that was used a lot by people in the 1980s, especially, that were doing pretty well. Then they find out that they shouldn't, you know, it's taken over their life. How do you get off the cocaine? Again, you sign a deal with a therapist who's going to randomly drug test you and it just says, if you are found out, I'm telling your wife. And then I'm telling your boss. And then I'm telling your parents. And then you can go up. Right? And that's actually been somewhat effective. Um, drug therapies have tried uh, SSRIs, MAOIs. So these are, these are um, uh, antidepressants. <laughs> SSRIs are used... Um, a lot of times it seems with chronic ecstasy users. Uh, with some help, apparently, and again, that's because their, their, their serotonin system's been destroyed or really badly damaged. The MAOI idea, um, when it, that also makes more serotonin available, that hasn't been quite as effective broadly for all stimulants. And it's partially based on the notion that people are taking stimulants because they're depressed. The idea that People are taking drugs to self-medicate. Well, who's going to take a stimulant while someone who's depressed? And that's not really the case. So it hasn't been quite as effective here, but apparently the SSRIs have been somewhat effective for chronic, for treating the chronic use of uh, ecstasy. All right. Questions? Comments? Criticisms? Anything with a cuss sound at all? Kudos? Kettle corn? All right. On that note, talk to you later.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want. Okay. Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.